It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster in here with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday morning. Hope you're doing well. We uh, get a chance now to talk about some of the things we've got coming for you during this midday. And we're joined by Susan Littlefield to start things off. Good morning, Susan. Well, good morning. How are you today? What's going on in your world? Well, it's a great day. Kids are going back to school, so it's always a wonderful day, right? (laughs) Not maybe so much for them, but I, I live in a household that has a teacher in it, too, so uh, they're not as excited as we are, probably. But Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> what do you got for us today, Susan? Well, we got some great things taking place uh, coming up here at uh, Kicking It All Off at tw- uh, 1219. We're going to hear from Dr. Terry Howell on food processing. And then Shaylee's going to step in at 1245, learning more. And Nebraska Grazing Conference is underway. Then at 117, I'll find out more information about some research that's going on at Kansas State and soybeans, which might actually gain our soybean producers some extra dollars when it comes to the final product. So that's the midday from us. Well, they could certainly use that after the year that they've had for sure. So hopefully that comes. Oh, ain't that the truth? Yeah. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you. We turn it over to Jason Huskers. I think tenth uh, day of practice, something like that. Yep. They uh, finishing things up uh, this morning. Of course, they're able to welcome in Jakeem Green, talented defensive tackle, who uh, was a JUCO kid and had to wait till he got out of everything taken care of academically, and he'll be in the fold now. How much he's in shape how much he can actually help but uh hey that's another body that's another four-star dude along the line of scrimmage so he can't help you now he might be able to help down the road that that uh, line of scrimmage the the uglies up there look like they should be pretty tough on the defense a little side. bit they need to be if, yeah, they, if this if they are going to have the type of year that everybody hopes uh, they got to get better at the line of scrimmage both offensively and defensively also, we'll talk some Loper football. We'll hear from quarterback Alex McGinnis of Crete. He's back for his senior season to run the show. Of course, it's been a big improvement in the time those seniors have been in Kearney since that winless year not that long ago. We will get his thoughts about that. And the Husker basketballers went 4-0 over in Italy, winning yesterday. They, they pulled it off, by Italy. golly. So, so Italy's, Italy's undefeated. Uh, Charlie Easley from Lincoln Pius. He's a walk-on. Saw him play last year, and he's a good one. Uh, that was that was quite the steal for Hoiberg to get him just come and walk on. I wouldn't be surprised if Charlie doesn't end up playing some serious minutes for the Huskers. Maybe not this year, but down the road. Well, a great bonding opportunity for those guys who get to play together. If nothing else, even who didn't matter who much who who they were playing, if that they were playing. So, and like Coach you. Hoiberg said, they'd uh, you know they their phones wouldn't work over there, so they actually had to talk to one another. That's excellent. That's a great thing to have. All right. Thank you so much, Jason. Appreciate it. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks doing today? Well, there's a tariff delay, and that's kind of gotten people excited a little bit. Uh, stocks went higher after the latest turn in things. The U.S. is delaying tariffs on some Chinese-made products, uh, uh, on some of the, uh, the products, cell phones, laptop computers, and other items and uh, removing other Chinese imports from its target list. So that's kind of uh, sent things a little bit uh, higher. Also, uh, CIT Group is buying Mutual of Omaha Bank for about a billion dollars, and that is not the insurance business, not Mutual of Omaha, the insurance part of it, just the bank. And also, uh, a, a sad story, nearly 200 will lose jobs with the closure of an eastern Nebraska plant in david city so we'll have stories on these and more 
All right, that's all coming up on Midday. Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. Follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts this summer, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. It has a custom hood, tinted windows, and spray-on bed liner. Thanks to the following sponsors, you could be bringing it home to your driveway this September. Boz Garage, Arapahoe and Fah Motor Company, Cambridge, Eustace Body Shop, Eustace Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln, Central Valley Irrigation, Holdridge, Lexington and Kearney, CHS, Creating Connections to Empower Agriculture, Suretop Angus and Charlay Farnham, Nutrient Ag Solutions, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, Lexington Regional Health Center, Lexington, Cornerstone Bank, Member FDIC, with 42 locations serving Nebraska. Find more on the Fun and Games page at krvn.com. Time for us to take a look at agriculture, well, weather specifically, and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in studio with me today, and uh, we kind of go from cloudy to clear, and it's just kind of one of those days, I think. Exactly, yeah, some patchy clouds across the area right now. Some of those clouds from some rain that's moving through mainly northern areas of Nebraska, but some of those clouds, uh, the bulk of them across north-central areas of Nebraska, but also some light clouds from about Grand Island on over to Kearney and Lexington, but most other people in Enjoying quite a bit of sunshine currently across the area. Good chance uh, to see some more thunderstorms. Yeah, there, yeah. Over the next few days, uh, some chances at some thunderstorms. Probably one of the better chances in central Nebraska coming up uh, tomorrow and tomorrow night. Okay. But those periodic thunderstorm chances on the way probably needed before we do turn warmer and drier because the long-term outlook continues to hold on to some warmer and drier conditions oh. in our forecast. So okay, all yeah. right. Right now, that scattered shower and thunderstorm activity mainly stretching from about O'Neill and Burwell back up to about the Ainsworth area, then back into the eastern Nebraska panhandle towards Alliance and Gordon, and also just in the north of Oshkosh. Looks like a fairly strong thunderstorm cell just to the north of Oshkosh. Nothing worn with these uh, thunderstorms. Also, a little bit of light rain trying to get squeezed from the clouds near Greeley and also to the east of Grand Island from about Central City down to the Giltner area. Otherwise, uh, warming up nicely across the area in the upper 70s to uh, the low 80s. The dew points, not too bad today. They have inched up a little bit more than they were yesterday, but many of us with dew points in the low to mid-60s, some upper 60s to low 70s for dew points over southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas, but definitely not as humid as what we had been seeing across the area. Today will be mainly sunny with some seasonal temperatures, those thunderstorms possible throughout the day in west and central areas with those thunderstorms. They're developing near low pressure over northeast Colorado, then tracking to the southeast and developing uh, and moving through the region today. That continued chance will be through tonight. If we see any severe weather, the best chance of severe storm is going to be over the tri-state area far southwest Nebraska, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado, basically along and west of a line. From Oshkosh to Ogallala to McCook, Oberlin, and Waukini, Kansas is where we do have a slight to enhanced risk of severe storms. The enhanced risk over mainly northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas, so that higher risk of severe storms there. But basically anywhere uh, west of that line, once again, Ogallala to Oberlin to Waukini, Kansas, you are looking at the potential, the better potential of some severe storms. 
Otherwise, the cold front pushing south tonight may also be the focus for some thunderstorms. Temperatures for tomorrow through Saturday, slightly cooler than normal with some pushes of cooler air. More thunderstorms will be possible late tomorrow through tomorrow night and late Thursday through Thursday night with more disturbances tracking southeast. Friday night, a front may kick up also a few more thunderstorms, but a little more scattered chance on those thunderstorm chances for Friday night. The better chances looking to be tomorrow on into Thursday. Late in the weekend and early next week, things start to change, headed for a warmer and drier pattern with a ridge of high pressure building across the southern plains. That is reflected in our long-term forecast. Warmer than normal temperatures remain likely for Sunday through August 26th for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the nation. The exception, some cooler air from about the Dakotas into the Pacific Northwest. The long-term outlook for Nebraska and Kansas not looking as dry as it did yesterday. Nebraska and Kansas now likely to see near normal to slightly below normal rainfall Sunday through the 26th. Weather factors affecting the markets include higher chances for Midwest rain and ongoing favorable crop weather in the Black Sea region. A cold front pushing into the southern and eastern U.S. the next few days will remain the focus for some locally heavy rain. Late in the week, scattered rain will return across an area stretching from the southern Rockies into the upper Midwest. Following a few days of cooler weather in much of the central and eastern U.S., Heat will expand northward during the weekend. Central and eastern Midwest will see a higher chance for additional rain in the next week. Following the dry period last month and early this month, that rain will provide some timely crop moisture for filling corn and pod-sending soybeans. The delta in southeast will begin very hot through this week. The heat stress may bring on some loss in crop yield. In the Black Sea region of Russia and Ukraine, the pattern of mild weather and periods of rain will continue to keep their crop prospects on the favorable side. You know, we were talking yesterday off air a little bit that uh, we really haven't had a lot of really hot days. No, you know, we had that one stretch, what, uh, about the 20th of July, which is, it seems like it always ends mm-hmm. up about that time yeah. period. But, yeah, we got up into the mid-90s to around 100 and a fair amount of humidity, but then it kind of backed off mm-hmm. by the weekend. And, uh, yeah, really, 80s and low 90s. Maybe some periods of real humid weather, but not all in all, really not too bad this summer. Well, we may we may see that coming up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks like the last half of August could be finishing out on a warm note. Remember when schools used to get out because <laughs> of hot days? Remember yeah. those? Well, mine did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, then they invented that thing like don't, air conditioning. Everybody got budgets air for air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. Rice News get on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're talking with Dr. Terry Howe. He is the Executive Director of the Food Processing Center. The center is housed out of the Nebraska Innovation Campus, formerly known as the Nebraska State Fairgrounds. Dr. Howell, thank you for being here. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Tell us, what is the Food Processing Center? The Food Processing Center is affiliated with the Food Science and Technology Department at the University of Nebraska. It's a center that has uh, been around since 1983, and it's comprised of faculty and staff that try to support the food industry in a variety of ways, whether it's through applying research, through workshops, and through services that we provide to the food industry, uh, anywhere from doing analytical testing for food companies to doing product testing in our labs to uh, we have an extensive pilot plant that food companies can use to try and test new technology and, and techniques that may uh, improve their um, their products and and so we just you know kind of work with a with a goal of trying to advance the food industry. Can you share with us an example of what that might look like uh, a company or a product coming through the processing center? Sure. Um, 
as I mentioned, we have about uh, eight to ten different services that we that we can provide the food industry, you know, well equipped and and trained staff. And so, food companies, uh, anywhere from entrepreneurs all the way to to multinational companies, might approach us with a problem. Um, very often, it, it could be in the product development space. So, as an example, someone might come to us with a product that they have. Um, maybe their their ingredient supplier in a certain space is is changing, or 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 maybe the costs are going up, and they want to try a new formula. We might be able to assist them with different testing, whether it's um, evaluating a, a range of ingredients to see how functional that product could be. It, it could also be uh, we have a, a sensory lab where we can compare side-by-side side maybe their old product and their new product to see if consumers can tell a difference or if consumers might prefer one over the other. And, and then we can also do microbiological testing to evaluate whether there's any any micro problems that might occur long term for that product. So that's just one example. We we do, you know, a variety of other ones along the way as well. Tell us about the space you're operating in with some of this research. So uh, the University of Nebraska's Food Processing Center is is housed here at the Food Innovation Center. Um, it's a state of the art facility. It's just about four years old. As I was telling you, Bryce, it's um, it's probably one of the premier. Uh, spaces for food uh, technology research in the United States. It's it's uh, it's very well equipped with a pilot plant um, about thirty thousand square feet that can um, can process just about every kind of food product out there. We don't do a whole lot of meat and poultry in this facility. We we utilize animal science for that, but just about every other kind of food product we can handle in the facility. In addition to that, we have uh, a beautiful sensory lab that can handle uh, different um, consumer tests for uh, for products. We have very well equipped product development laboratory, so scientists can 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 work on products in there. And we also have uh, soon to have our our dairy plant, but we're moving into the innovation center. So we'll be making the UNL ice cream and cheeses here on campus. People get excited about that for sure. Yes. <laughs> sure appreciate uh, you taking the time, Dr. Howell, to join us. Uh, it's great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me. On the Rural Ready Network, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting. When bad weather happens, you can rely on KRVM. We are your home for up-to-the-minute coverage of flooding. And a flooded south part of Kearney. Doesn't look like any of these roads are going to open anytime soon. Tornadoes. Three tornado warnings that are in effect right now, and two of them until 745. This storm that has spawned these tornadoes has now grown. And severe weather impacting our listening area. The southern part of this tornadic thunderstorm could be moving back through the Farnham area in the next few minutes as well. We will be there to alert you to any significant weather events and we can take you to the scene with our reporters for in-moment experiences. Where we have the drone right now, we're facing to the south looking at Interstate 80 and literally right off as you head north into Kearney, this is why they have the interstate shut down, waters over the road, so they don't want folks driving through that obviously. With our social media pages, you can find photos, videos, and interviews in real time. Check out krvn.com for podcasts, interviews, and news stories. 880-KRVN. We are who you rely on when bad weather happens. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason. 
Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, Nebraska's defensive line added another piece today as defensive tackle Jakeem Green signed with the Huskers this week. Green played at Highland Community College in Kansas after failing to qualify academically at South Carolina. Now, he was considered a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He joined the Huskers today for their workout. Well, UNK is experienced at the quarterback position going into this year. Senior Alex McGinnis of Creed is back to run the show. Now, McGinnis is part of a senior class that has seen a lot of improvement in their time at Cardi, and he says they'd like to leave their mark. I think that's just a tribute to Coach Lynn and the staff, and I think it's a tribute to me and the guys. We got, I think, 24 seniors on this team, so there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience on experience with football you know the nine of us that were here for the 0 and 11 season and we saw the kind of the trials and we want to we want to be on the the positive or we want to be a positive impact when we leave the leave the program mcginnis and the lopers will open up the season on september 5th at missouri southern charlie easley's 15 points led five huskers in double figures as nebraska wrapped up its tour of italy with an 84-62 win over the Italian select team yesterday. Easily, the walk-on from Lincoln Pius came off the bench to ignite a nice run at the end of the first quarter with back-to-back threes. Deshaun Burke chipped in with 12 points with a victory. Nebraska went 4-0. Former Nebraska golfer and McCook native Brandon Crick has put himself in a spot to potentially qualify for next year's PGA Tour after a pair of strong finishes recently on the Corn Ferry Tour. Crick, who earned an NCAA regional appearance as a Husker in 2010, recorded two straight top 15 finishes the last couple of weekends. With that strong play, he's vaulted from 155th to 54th in the Tour standings, which gives him a shot to compete in the Tour Finals. Now, if he finishes in the top 25 in the point standings after the next three events in the Finals, he would earn a PGA Tour card. And Royals outfielder and designated hitter Jorge Soler has been named the American League Player of the Week. Soler hit 409 with a 552 on base percentage in seven games last week while putting up an American League leading six home runs and 12 RBIs. With 42 games remaining this year, his 35 home runs are just three shy matching Mike Mustakis' club record of 38 home runs. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Speaking of keeping an eye on things, we are joined now by Dave Schroeder. Hi, Dave. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. Nebraska State Treasurer John Moranti says that out as he travels in outstate Nebraska, he's informing people about how their tax dollars are spent and listening to their concerns. Taking the feedback back to Lincoln and sharing it with state senators and Governor Ricketts and um, uh, making sure that the people of Nebraska have... Um, a very important say in the policymaking process. The question he's gotten most often is, what is the state doing to lower property taxes? Uh, and I can answer that one. The, in the last budget, the state uh, legislature prioritized and Governor Ricketts signed uh, $550 million of property tax relief through the property tax credit relief fund. So when all your listeners get their property tax statements at the end of the year, they'll see a line at the bottom of their form uh, that, that says credit, and it, it'll give them back probably a couple hundred bucks. Well, Moranti says most people acknowledge that's not enough property tax relief. He says Governor Ricketts and lawmakers are working to try to find a way to decrease property taxes. With that said, Governor Ricketts, uh, Senator Luann Lanahan from Elkhorn, who's the chair of the Revenue Committee, have 
been working since the legislature adjourned trying to find a solution with with great people like Senator Kurt Friesen, uh, Senator Steve Holleran, uh, Senator Mike Groney that can uh, that can provide meaningful sustained property tax relief in Nebraska uh, and do it in a form that can actually pass through the legislature. State Treasurer John Moranti. A driver died after a sport utility vehicle crashed off a rural road in northeast Nebraska. A passerby spotted the wreckage just after 6.30 this morning, about seven miles north of Stanton. The Stanton County Sheriff's Office says a southbound SUV ran off the roadway and rolled several times, ejecting the driver. It came to rest atop him. Sheriff Mike Unger identified the driver as 24-year-old Devin Thielen, who lived in rural Stanton. Cattle producers are concerned a fire at a Tyson meat processing plant in Holcomb, Kansas, could disrupt already strained processing operations. The plant is closed indefinitely after that fire on Friday. Tyson has said it will reopen the plant, but the timeline will depend on the extent of damage. And Scott, that's a check of the latest in news. All right, very good, Dave. Thank you. And you can always uh, check on news anytime. You can go to krvn.com. Joining you from the Nebraska Grazing Lands Conference happening here in Kearney, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. We get to visit today here with moderator and forage specialist, it's Darren Redfern. And uh, let's start off by just talking about this event in general. You guys had a pretty good turnout, Darren, um, and you had a location change due to the flooding, and we'll talk more about flooding here in just a little bit. Um, but just talk about the event in general. Yeah, so this is the uh, 19th annual Nebraska Grazing Conference. Uh, it's it's one of the, not maybe not necessarily the longer running, it's it's one of the ones that is uh, still pretty much uh, focused solely on grazing and managing grazing lands. Um, you know, some of the others around offer some some good information, but theirs does tend to be tend to be more general. Happy with the outcome. Also, you've got the trade show going on, and it's a three-day conference. The thick of it today and even tomorrow, a producer panel I see. So for somebody who's maybe wanting to still join in on the action, I know you guys have walk-ins welcome. Talk about some of the things maybe they can, uh, they'll see or experience at this year's grazing conference. Yeah, so there are, are four main uh, four main topics that, that we're uh, talking about. Uh, the first one this morning is uh, rangeland health. Uh, this afternoon we'll be talking about... Uh, rangeland management uh, tomorrow morning uh, we have a, the producer panel that you mentioned will be uh, winter feeding uh, the art and science of winter feeding I think is the uh, is the fancy title and then we'll talk about uh, rangeland resilience uh, to finish up the uh, conference before noon tomorrow uh, many of the same exhibitors are, are here uh, we've got probably uh, Oh, 15 or, or 16 exhibitors. Uh, attendance is, is up quite a bit. A lot, a lot of interest this year in the, in the rangeland health and, and soil health topic that we're, that we're talking about. I got two, uh, good speakers that a, a lot of people know. Uh, Pat Shaver, uh, is one. Um, and then Dana Larson, uh, is the other one who'll be speaking yet this morning. And 
you guys had a location change because of the flooding, and that will lead us right into my next question. This morning you opened things up talking about flooding. It's been such a trying year for a lot of producers, and as you mentioned too, even for, for you guys that are providing resources, because this is new to a lot of people, maybe go over some of the things that you covered uh, for guys dealing with the impacts of flooding. Yeah, so you know, it, it's no secret that the that the flooding has been a been a big issue. That the storm that occurred in March over the entire state of Nebraska, the western part, was dealing with a blizzard conditions and excessive amount of snow uh, that turned to rain somewhere over the uh, eastern part of the state. Uh, the problem was is the ground was still frozen, so there was really nowhere for that moisture to run except down through the down through the dra- drainage ways and and a lot of the ice was still on the rivers and so kind of what the story they tell if you will is that that water ran beneath those ice on the river and kind of stirred up a lot of the sand and then the ice broke loose and that whole conglomeration of debris moved down the rivers and then when the water slowed down a little bit the sand just kind of fell out in place uh the amount of sand, I think, at least from my standpoint, and I think others would tell you as well, that was the just the volume of sand was one of the things that we had not anticipated at all with this, and so we're left with a lot of the uh, a lot of the sand deposits scattered around, and we're trying to develop management strategies for those. As you'd mentioned, you know, this is is obviously happened just because of the landscape running through the middle part of the state, but no one alive had had seen it, so there's really no information out there that that we can go back in and pull off the shelf and read as a prescription of hey this is what you guys need to do so we just you know we go with with some of the things that we understand that are are, you know extrapolate off of some other research that's been done and develop these these plants well as the as you think about this some of these are so expansive it's just cost prohibitive um to do to do a lot of things, you know, to really go in depth, to do a lot of management, to to try to make these some state of production. So you know, one of the questions I had today was, you know, we got all this around, and would just kind of not doing anything to helping it along just a little bit be an option? And, you know, I'm quite honest, that's as good an option as some of the things that that we come up with as a university because no one knows and so it's it's you know one of the things that we need to always keep in the back of our mind it's important as we move through this recovery that we're all doing it together and so it's important that we continue to learn from each other in the midst of a recovery as you guys do learn from each other what are some of the things maybe it is helping just helping it along and being patient. Um, what are some of the things that are being employed, people are trying to do, or you guys are suggesting for producers dealing with the sand? Yeah, one of the, the things that you need to do when you're, you're especially on these deeper uh, deposits, those that are in excess of a foot, those are the ones that are likely uh, where it's going to need a little help to bring back into, into production. Um, some of the producers are planting cover crops on the sand. Uh, one of the things that at least that's a short-term forage production uh, strategy, I, I think, is what they're looking at. That's also what we're looking at in longer term as well because one of the things we've got to do before we go back in and maybe try to reestablish or revegetate those is to get the soil organic matter up on those areas and sand is notorious for having very low organic matter 
So it's going to be a process there of a couple years to plant some annual crops to kind of get the soil organic matter built up, get a little bit of soil structure, get a little bit of soil cover on there so that when they come back and plant a lot of the perennials, a lot of those um, chances of success will be increased. Darren Redford, Forage Specialist. We are at the Nebraska Grazing Conference going on in Kearney. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to get updated on our markets real quickly. Uh, things looking pretty good here in the United States. Uh, on the overnight, London and Germany both up. The Japanese and Hong Kong, no surprise there, down right now. But green across the board in uh, the United States is the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 404. The NASDAQ was up 153. And the S&P is up 44. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan for more. Stocks shot higher in midday trading on Wall Street after the U.S. government announced it was delaying the implementation of tariffs on certain goods imported from China. The U.S. Trade Representative said today that some products that were subject to the 10% new tariff as of September 1st were now being removed from the list. Those new tariffs are now being delayed until December 15th on several items such as mobile phones, toys, and several other items on holiday shopping lists. The United States is delaying those tariffs, and that's affecting the market today. Uh, Also, U.S. consumer prices rose three-tenths of a percent in July, pushed higher by more expensive gas, medical care, and housing. The Labor Department says the consumer price index increased 1.8% compared with a year earlier, up from 1.6 in June. Mutual of Omaha Bank is uh, CIT Group is buying Mutual of Omaha Bank for one billion dollars to expand its commercial banking operations, and not to confuse thing that to confuse things. That is not the insurance business. That is the banking end of the business that Mutual of Omaha is involved in. They started that in 2007. Many companies are kind of shocking off some of the things that don't prove to be as quite as profitable for them. It looks like that's what uh, Mutual of Omaha is doing. And nearly 200 will lose jobs with the closure of an eastern Nebraska bank. Uh, that company manufactures electrical wiring assemblies, putting nearly 200 people out of work in the David City area. And so uh, that company, uh, based in Fargo, North Dakota, um, is is closing uh, and it's called Fargo Assembly. Uh, they have informed the state of Nebraska that they will be um, closing their their doors. So those are some of the stories making headlines that we're watching today. Thanks, Bob. This is Vice Chancellor Mike Bain. I'd like to invite you to hear the latest news from the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources by tuning into the weekly IANR update. Listen to the program each Saturday at 9.30 right here on 880-KRVN. Analyzing your soybean plants. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. At this stage of the soybean growing season, producers may well benefit from the information that can be gleaned by a soybean plant analysis. Submitting plant tissue samples to a laboratory to evaluate the nutrient status of the crop. 
A K-State crop nutrient specialist endorses that idea. Doravar Ruiz Diaz points out that the soybean plant analysis can serve a couple of informative purposes. The first one is, is really to find out what's the status in terms of uh, nutrition for that crop, essentially to evaluate our fertility program uh, and whether or not we, sh- we need to be considering some adjustments either in season in some cases or in, in some cases also thinking about fertility program in the future. So it's really kind of an assessment of, of what's the status, quality control, if you will, for this particular season. The second purpose for, for tissue analysis is typically uh, for diagnostic purpose, and in this case, uh, it's a situation where perhaps we have some problematic areas in the fields, a uh, crop that's not looking good, and we want to basically find out what's the limitation, what's the problem in that particular field. In particular, the first objective, monitoring the nutrient status of the crop, can be quite informative for a producer when evaluating one's soybean nutrient management. He also recommends the recommended field sampling procedure. Especially if we're thinking about monitoring nutrient levels. In the case of soybean, uh, the guidelines typically we are getting now in the time of the year uh, for soybeans where it's a, a good time for, for tissue testing. We typically want to do that, collect that sample between the R1 and R4 growth stage, basically between flowering and pot set. Uh, We don't want to collect samples much later than that because uh, in the case of soybean, the nutrients will start to move in in the the pots, in the the seeds, and of course, uh, will basically have lower nutrient concentration in the tissue. So again, this is really the optimum timing for collecting those samples. And then what constitutes a good field sample for purposes of conducting a soybean nutrient analysis? The aim is to get a sample that gives the grower a clear picture of the nutrient status of that stand what part of the plants we are collecting is very important because again depending on what parts of the plants you are collecting we may have different concentration of nutrients and in the case of soybean we're talking the uppermost uh, fully developed trifoliate without the petiole and we typically want to collect between 20 and 30 samples around the field uh, so we have a representative sample always comparing those uh, good areas and bad areas as we ultimately try to compare this uh, nutrient content in in the plant as uh, again trying to find out what's that limiting factor. And another area that's also been closely watched has been insects. Jeff Whitworth is K-State crop entomologist, and he said even so, one may be able to get by without applying an insecticide at this time. I've gotten a lot of calls in the last week about soybean pests, mostly defoliators, because right now we're kind of in between also the the thistle caterpillars, the webworms, the yellow-striped armyworms, they're just starting to feed as small larvae, so some of the guys are just starting to notice them. Fortunately, most of the canopies, most of the there's enough leaf material out there that I don't think the thistle caterpillars or the webworms are going to affect the soybeans. And as they get into the reproductive stages, they can accept maybe 20 to 30 percent defoliation, and it's not going to affect them. But you need to keep an eye on that. Any questions about your soybeans, you're encouraged to contact your crop consultant or your local county extension agent. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Another down day in corn. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. I'm hearing stories now that there's the possibility that we've reached a near-term bottom in December corn. However, 
Didn't we slip below 377 and a quarter today? We did. We covered that gap. So, you know, we'll probably overshoot a little bit here, test the 360 if that's, uh, you know, if you're still bearish. Uh, although I will say, take your beats off the KC. KC white corn was down heavily the last two days. Um, we are sitting at the May lows right now for, for that contract. So, uh, you know, got to think there's got to be some optimism or, or the weekend can't get here soon enough for the Bulls. It's been a really rough couple of days. Uh, you know, feels like there's some capitulation, at least on the on the livestock side. Maybe that'll bring about some return to buying in the feeder cat or on the uh, on the corn side. But, uh, you know, margin calls are, have been the theme. You know, a lot of folks being put to decisions on what to do with paper contracts, and I'm sure you're seeing many fold up tent uh, to, to, to just get out, which I think is probably the wrong move here. I, I would be buying. I think there's good opportunities. The basis is strong out east, and I, I think as we go into delivery, there might show itself. Should we lock in something at December 2020 corn? Well, that's, that's an easy yes. I, I think unless something changes, which I've been waiting on something to change here currency-wise, uh, macro-wise, really for the last five years, and, you know, the Fed would have to get really, really short, I think, as far as interest rates go, to get the dollar down to where it needs to be to kind of get new crop corn at a level where it's competing with other crops at 420, 430. So, you know, I'm not saying you got to go out and sell the farm at 410, but I think you should definitely get something on because, you know, if you look back to 2016, I think it was 2017, we never saw really $4. So, um, you know, 2.1 billion carryout, I think that's the high we'll see for a while. Uh, short term, you know, money flow is driving everything, but it can turn itself around pretty quickly here. So don't get myopic. And don't we need this hard red winter wheat and spring wheat contracts to really lead the way to bring that corn um, movement back up to? Yeah, and we're record short, so I, I'm issuing a big buy rack. You don't got to go out and buy buy wheat on this recommendation, but it was the 13th of May when the market bottomed, middle of May, and rallied into delivery. I, I think we could be setting up at least for a push back up above four. You know, we're down here at 383. We haven't been this cheap on a front month contract ever, uh, really going back years. So, um, you know, we're the cheapest in the world right now. We'll see if we can get some demand this week. Thanks. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. Front month September corn contract was down 19 and a quarter today after the limit loss yesterday. This is the Rural Radio Network. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com and the KRVN app.